sometimes there's a, a false dichotomy that's placed between the Old Testament and the New Testament and by, by various Christians, by Catholics, as well as other kinds of Christians. Uh, and the, the false dichotomy, uh, dichotomy goes like this. Well, the Old Testament um, has to do with rules. And in the New Testament, we're free of rules. There's no rules. And uh, I think we can see from our readings today that that's not the case. Of course, in the Old Testament um, passage that we've heard, it uh, talks about the law, specifically about how the law is very intelligent. I think that's a really important point, is that the law has to do with uh, intelligence and reality and truth. And then if, in our New Testament reading from the Gospel, Christ says that even the least one of these commandments, whoever breaks them is going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, in this case, I, I take it to be the Christian era or the Christian dispensation or the church. And uh, he's saying that even for Christians, if you break the, the smallest law from the Old Testament, then uh, you're going to be, you know, lowest on the lowest rung on the ladder, so to speak, in the Christian era. And um, <clears throat> what uh, the law that Christ is speaking about here is really it's the natural law, because in the Old Testament there were certain laws like uh, that had to do with dietary restrictions, like you can't eat pork and these sorts of things. Those kinds of laws, those ritual laws, were proper to the Old Testament era, and they're done away with in the New Testament era. But there are other laws uh, that were revealed uh, by God through Moses that had to do with uh, the natural law, the law that's unchanging, the moral law, that's the same from beginning of, human, from beginning of creation until the end. And it's those laws that Christ is saying we need to really be aware of and be sensitive to, even the smallest one. And uh, this will be a sort of a launching point now for me to talk about conscience. And uh, there are three kinds, at least, of consciences. There's what's called the lax conscience. That's not a good conscience. You don't have a lax conscience. Then there's what's called the scrupulous conscience. The scrupulous conscience is also bad. You don't want to have a scrupulous conscience. And then finally, you have what's called the delicate or the tender conscience. And that's the kind of conscience that you want. We want to cultivate and develop a delicate, sensitive, tender conscience. Now, oftentimes, the person that has the lax conscience accuses the person who has the sensitive conscience of being scrupulous, of having an overly sensitive uh, conscience. That's very, it's very common. Uh, I think in, in different eras, in different time periods, you find just the way that sociology works and the development of culture and peoples, um, Christians maybe had a tendency to scrupulosity and then sometimes a, a tendency to laxity. I think today's era, we're in a tendency to laxity and not to scrupulosity, although we can find amongst us this the scrupulous conscience. It still does exist, but more often than not, it's the lax conscience. The lax conscience, if I can, I give it a little metaphor here. Uh, think of the nerve endings in your fingers, okay, or the nerve endings in your hands. Um, the lax conscience has got uh, a dearth. It's got a, it's, it's depleted of its, of the proper number and density of nerve endings that are in the hand. So when it goes and it's trying to feel the moral law, it, it's not very sensitive. It, like, it, it's not aware of big grooves, you know. It kind of passes over a big sin and it says, oh, that's a small sin, or it doesn't sense it at all. 
Okay, so there's a kind of a, there's a, uh, there's a dearth or a lack of the number and density of nerve endings. Whereas the tender conscience, or uh, let's do the scrupulous conscience. The scrupulous conscience is like, okay, the number and density of the nerve endings is there, but they send wrong signals to the brain. So there's a kind of a disease that's, that's interfering with the communication between the sensors and the, and the, and the brain. And so the scrupulous conscience sees a sin when there really is no sin. It sends false signals. And it's, it doesn't operate according to intelligence and reason, like we hear about in our first reading about how the law of the Lord has to do with intelligence. It's an emotional thing, and, and it's, it's driven by fear, by the passion of fear. And so it's always afraid that the, oh, is that really a sin? And then it, did I make a good confession? Maybe I didn't make a good confession. And it's this kind of this emotional, irrational sort of reality. The, the tender conscience, on the other hand, has got the proper number and density of nerve endings, and it's sensitive, very sensitive. And so when it lays its hands on the moral law, it says, oh, that's a sin. It's small, but it's a sin. I'm not going to do that. Oh, that's a big one, obviously. I'm not going to do that one. And so it's, it's proportioned to reality. Uh, another, another metaphor you could do is a net. You know, if a fisherman's in the sea, it's like the lax conscience has got holes in the net, huge holes, and you got big fish that make it through, all right? Whereas, uh, you know, maybe the scrupulous conscience, the, the net has a tendency to get snagged on, on uh, the ruins of ships underneath, or you know, it, it's, it's dysfunctional. The tender conscience is a net that's very fine-grained. It lets the water through, and it catches the fish that it's meant to catch. And uh, so the final thing I'd say is, how do we develop a tender conscience? Um, confession, the sacrament of, of confession. And taking uh, the sacrament of confession uh, with, a, with a devotional approach, okay? There's two ways that we can use confession. It was primarily instituted by Christ to, as a remedy for, for mortal sin that's committed after baptism, Okay, that's the primary reason it was instituted. But over the centuries, in the wisdom of the church and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we found like, hey, you know, this sacrament is really useful for confessing venial sins and doing it on a regular basis. And so that's a devotional approach to confession, or sometimes it's called frequent confession. And uh, it's an excellent way of uh, developing your conscience. And so I recommend um, devotional confession or frequent confession. So how frequent is is frequent. Um, spiritual authors, I go, I go to confession once a month. I'd like to go every two weeks. It's actually difficult sometimes for a priest to go to confession. I don't want to confess my sins to Father Leoy, so I have to go to priests out, out and about, and it's kind of, it's kind of difficult for one priest who's saying mass to, you know, we're all doing our ministry at the same time. Anyways, if I could do it, it would be about two weeks. They say, the spiritual authors say that's about the right amount. It's about two weeks or a month. Okay? Um, some saints, some very holy people did it more frequently, but, but for your average person, about two weeks or a month is a good amount of uh, time. That every, every two weeks, every month or so, you go to confession. It's a way for you to uh, pay attention to your conscience, to develop it, and to uh, constantly be exposed to this process of examining yourself and looking at your life.